Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about space 1999. The future. The future is now in the past. The future of 1973. Yeah, if we're going by filming dates. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I did not sound certain. Hi, this is Matt here. This is Mark. And our start, actually, this is starting our, not the first we recorded, but starting our tradition of bringing on people that actually know about this show since you guys who only kind of know about this show started this show uh, it's uh john champion from mission log howdy hey good to be here uh but i will be honest with you i mean space 1999 i remember very well watching it uh when it made the jump over here to pbs so i was really really little and i remember that being in the zeitgeist because i was into star wars and star trek and galactica and everything else and then i did a big rewatch when the dvds and then the blu-rays came out but that's been a while so i'm, I'm kind of rediscovering it along with you so i appreciate this opportunity yeah i pretty much had my run in with season one about 10 15 years ago but um have have never season two will be new to me so uh we'll see how that oh, goes. oh cool cool and i'll tell <laughs> um, you that I, I regret to this day that I sold my Space 1999 tactical manual to a friend at school. But but I held on to my, all my uh, gum cards, the Space 1999 game, all the Eagle models I've collected over the years, so still have all that. Yeah, I'm trying to think what what exactly was our spot for that, because Mark and I are a few years younger, and uh, mm -hmm. even, even Buck Rogers is a little bit... I remember watching that as a toddler, but uh, that being a little bit maybe too young for that i had a few toys for buck rogers mark did you do did they have a buck rogers uh phase not really uh I, for some reason when i was a kid i don't think buck rogers was really coming on i think we kind of went over this before but i didn't have much relationship with it as far as space stuff when i was a kid it was mostly lost in space and star trek and uh i didn't see space 1999 until internet times and I watched it all over the place randomly, and this is my first real focusing on it, which well, in 1999, it didn't have like a real thriving life in syndication. You know, it just didn't. So yeah, not not enough episodes. Yeah, yeah, that magic number is what 80, I think. So yeah, yeah, yeah get around, around 100, but yeah, if you can hit 80, you're you're gold. Yeah. Most Americans I talk to about it don't know what I'm talking about, so that's only that much for presence here. Well, maybe maybe we can start to remedy that. Um, yeah, there you go. We're talking Black Sun today, which uh, is third for us, third in production order. Sorry, I'm starting to do Mark's thing. So, Mark, you can do your thing. Here we go. Before Matt interrupted the trivia, here's the trivia. Uh, this is the third. <laughs> I was just gonna say that every time. Uh, this is the third episode in production order and was directed by Lee H. Katzen, who also directed the pilot Breakaway. He was contracted to direct more episodes, but was not asked to come back because the filming for this episode took 
three and a half weeks instead of the allotted two weeks. Although one of the reasons for the length of the sessions was because ITC New York's Abe Mandel ordered script changes after he was sent a copy of the then-completed episode. Uh, Mandel ordered the episode be jazzed up because he thought it was paced too slowly and, according to him, impossible to understand. Uh, after this, all subsequent scripts were required to be sent to Mandel in New York to be vetted before production, which became a constant headache for actors who had to stay up late learning short-notice script changes. Uh, the episode was written by David Weir, and it's his one and only Space 1999 writing credit. Indeed, his last writing credit, period, according to IMDb. He previously had written episodes of Quiller, The Main Chance, and his first writing credit was an episode of Danger Man. Uh, Weir's script was originally too long for an episode and was edited down to fit into an hour by story consultant Christopher Penfold, who only added, who also added the conversation with a female deity to the script. Uh, Weir used the title Black Sun because in 1973 the idea of a black hole was still only a theory, and the term black hole only dates back to 1967. So this is cutting edge stuff. Uh, the episode was later edited together with the episode Collision Course and shown as a TV movie called Journey Through the Black Sun. The tagline for that TV movie was, Its force can bend space and time. Nothing can escape it. And someone is drawing them closer. It's a mouthful. Uh, our main guest star this week is Paul Jones playing the ill-fated pilot Mike, among many ill-fated pilots that we'll meet in the series. Uh, he was most notable for previously being the singer of Manfred Mann, who were famous for the song Do Wa Diddy Diddy. But he still oh, continued acting. <laughs> what did he do? Uh, appeared in Great Big Groovy Horse and Saturday Stay Back, as well as starring in Uncle Jack as several series such as Uncle Jack and the Loch Ness Monster and Uncle Jack and Cleopatra's Mummy. <clears throat> As for the main cast, let's talk for a second about Barry Morris's Professor Victor Bergman. Morris was born in London in 1918 and got a full scholarship to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art at the age of 15. He followed that up with several stage productions and appeared in several of the BBC's earliest ever live TV broadcasts in the 1930s. He moved to Canada in the 50s and 60s and starred as Lieutenant Philip Gerard in The Fugitive, which is how most Americans know him aside from this series. Space 1999. But it's worth noting that he also showed up in The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, Tech War, Dear Liar, The Zoo Gang, Welcome to Blood City, and his final role, Old Man Number Two in I Really Hate My Job. He passed away at the, at the age of 89 in 2008, leaving behind three children and estimated 3,000 plus acting roles. Morse will only be appearing in season one of Space 1999 for reasons we will get into on a later date. Okay. Right. Got you. So let's see how this summary goes. Cause I, I wrote it at one in the morning, went to bed at one 30 in the morning, woke up at six 30 and now I'm talking to you. So I have not looked at it yet. Right on. <laughs> I cannot wait. Moonbase alpha is approaching a dangerous asteroid. It goes from a mist to a hit but some kind of gravity pushes it in another direction just in the nick of time. The bad news is this is due to the supergravity of a black sun that Alpha is now in the gravity well of. This becomes clear when crewman Mike takes an eagle to investigate, 
gets stretched into infinite spaghetti and then blows up real good. Science officer Bergman has the idea to create a force field that will allow Alpha to skip off the black sun's gravity. The odds are not good, though, and Commander Koenig has the computer choose six people to crew a survival ship. The force field plan works out, but not until the crew of Alpha experiences time dilation psychedelics at the hands of the Black Sun supergravity. Somehow Alpha and the quickly reclaimed survival ship were slung halfway across the galaxy by the Black Sun, and the moon careens off for future adventures laced with existential dread. I'm not 100% sure about that across the galaxy. Was that right? I, I wasn't fact-checking at 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> they they say in the episode that they've ended up, I, I think they said in another part of the universe, but mm-hmm. I, if we use those interchangeably here, I'm not going to get mad about it. Yeah, you know? I, was, I was like, they said there a million light years, which they said, okay. they said other part of the universe and they said a million light years. I don't know if a million light years actually would take you to another part of the universe, but uh, yeah, it would get you yeah. pretty far. Because um, our, our our galaxy is a hundred thousand light years, mm-hmm. uh, edge to edge. So million light years is pretty damn far. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it would get them to another galaxy. Okay. They're somewhere. Yeah, so it's much deeper exploration. Although once you're trapped that far away, does it really matter how far away you are? You know, because. Uh... <laughs> Oh man! If only we were ninety-nine million light years away, <laughs> then then we'd feel much better about it. I mean, they could you know, do it. Okay, you know what? I would say that this is one of the few series like uh, this, and I'd say Firefly and handful of others where you really need to watch in production order, like a Star Trek. I, I didn't care when we did TOS. If you watch it in production order or air date order, it doesn't matter. And the DVDs are packaged. Um, but this being the third episode filmed, it's important that it comes early in the season. It works so much better because then that sets you up for them being far out with weird encounters for the rest of our time on Alpha. Um, and if you just watch the other episodes that aired before this, you're like, who are these aliens and why are they so close? <laughs> you know, how far could we have gotten away from earth in eight weeks? Not very far. We, we did actually record the fourth episode first. I hate doing inside baseball, but I was definitely uh, saying yeah. stuff like, how do we get so far away? This can't be this right. Moon can't be this fast. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. Exactly. And that kind of shores up the uh, matter of life and death, because like, like you were saying, it's kind of like a weird sideways 2001 story reference, you know, guy well, disappears around Jupiter. And well, yeah, well, <laughs> well yes. I was thinking I was thinking, you know, interstellar here. Right. Which um, which is uh, 2001 also. I mean, <laughs> right. it's OK to keep doing 2000. It's OK to do 2001 a bunch of times. This is another we're yeah. doing it again. And that's cool. Also, you can't um, accuse of doing Interstellar 30 years before Interstellar or 40 or whatever it was. Well, 40. I also said, <laughs> I mean, that that episode also did Prometheus. Okay. Yeah. Matter yeah of life so, and death. Right. Well, again, yeah. you're, 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 you're pre, you know, you're, you're right. They're ahead of the curve. That's why it's an influential <laughs> yeah, show. They I predicted. Suppose. They predicted yeah. Prometheus. Good job. Now, Mark, no, I, well, I, I think you've always been annoyed with, um, Matthew McConaughey's I forgot his character's name but um 
fate entering the black hole for interstellar you don't like that how, yeah. how about how about mike's entry into the black hole i uh <laughs> the i the only thing that really annoyed me was the uh the survivorship just showing back up at the end that was way too convenient i hated that i, I absolutely hate i mean like, don't get me wrong i love everybody on that ship and i love yeah. every eagle like a dear part of me but mm-hmm. um there was a much better way to write that little bit of deus ex machina they could have attempted to fly out the hand of God could have slapped that eagle right back down onto the onto the uh, launch pad. Any number of things to just keep them under the force field, and that would have been fine. I would have been absolutely happy with that. Um, or somebody could have sabotaged their way out, or I, any 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 yeah. anything could have done that. Helena Russell could have had a a reason to say no. You have to turn back, and Eddie, we could have created a dramatic reason for it there. You know, yeah. But uh, just to have them show up, not good. Not good enough. <laughs> nope. I mean, the script might have had that, seeing as it seemed to have been yeah. heavily edited. That's really <laughs> what I'm thinking, is that there's some... The, I don't think the meddling made this better. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe it, it annoys you, but it doesn't annoy the uh, script editor, Mark mentioned, who's named Pendleton or whatever he said. You're the, you're uh, the man with the... Christopher movie. Penfold. Oh, yeah, I wasn't too far. There we are. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Very no. close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that might have been a suggestion like, oh, we don't need this story beat. But, mm. Well, yeah, he edited, <laughs> he edited it first, but then it was edited again by, um, by the guy in New York, Abe Mandel. Right, the okay. bane of the show. Too many cooks. You, you right? could have, yeah, you could have lost some stuff at the top of the show, and then just mm-hmm. cut in a very dramatic or very action-filled scene at the end. Crash another eagle. Seriously, just slap that thing down <laughs> on the surface of the moon because they love doing that every episode. So why not? Yeah, we should start keeping account of how many eagles blow up. Uh, I mean, the answer is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. The- Moonbase Alpha, yeah. yeah, Moon Alpha theoretically would have a lot more of these than, say, you know, like a starship where you're, you know, counting the the shuttlecraft and Voyager. It's like, well, Moonbase, they, they probably have a, um, you know, a a, a hanger of them, a hanger. Yeah. They, they probably have actual production to, capabilities. Uh, exactly. To, yeah. Seventy. Well, well, that's what I that's what I love is that they're all modular, so they could have you know fifty of those Eagle cockpits and a ton of those. Um, engine bells and you know just putting them together for whatever they need so i i can kind of cut them a little slack on that um but i mean the surface of the moon is just littered with <laughs> the eagles <Yeah>. everywhere <laughs> it would be really cool if they decided to make that because it kind of looks like the architecture of Moonbase alpha if they just had Moonbase alpha get smaller and smaller because they keep building eagles out of all the parts and then by the end of the series <laughs> right. it's just like That's a, true. a garage yes oh. yes <laughs> I, I do know one season two spoiler is they are going to pare down that awesome control center, which is too bad. Oh, <laughs> God, it, it's, oh man, that set is so beautiful. And uh, look, I, I'm sure it'll come up any number of times you talk about this show and with a lot of the guests that you have. But one of the things that I love about 1999 is that every single detail is so intentional and it all belongs together. It's like, okay, you look back at Star Trek TOS and it all looks great. And you go, okay, like all of this stuff belongs together, but then they'll throw in 
a really weird thing. You just go like, okay, they got lazy there. Like Dr. McCoy has this prop that is literally a toaster with some buttons on it. And you go like, all right, you, you, you had my suspension of disbelief for a while. And then you pulled that. Or you had me for a little while and then somebody bumped into a set piece and it was made out of wood and it made a thunk. But all around Moonbase Alpha, like all of those set pieces are gorgeous. Everything down to like the lamps on the desks and then that huge computer wall in main mission, it, it's, it, it's beautiful. In fact, it's too beautiful. It's so beautiful that you know that as soon as they're finished, it's like even then, okay, it's out of date. Because we bought everything off the shelf, looking perfect, and now that is going to be out of season in about six months. Yeah, it was I, very hip. Fifty years later, I mean this oh, in yeah. the nicest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a huge compliment. This is sort of like the IKEA of space shows. Yes, and I think I, that's you know, everything is modular. Everything is functional. Everything is gorgeous would live i'd buy everything in this show and put it in my house oh, yeah. i don't care but, but here's the thing but but it, it's ikea in the way that when you go to ikea and they have a team of expert designers putting that stuff together on the display and you walk through and you go oh my god this is amazing i want to live in this and then you buy like five things for a hundred bucks and you bring them home and your home then does not look like that display you walked into. <laughs> exactly. Or yeah. or you buy you buy a lot of the cheaper stuff and it looks good and then it breaks yeah. in a couple of years. Yeah. Like exactly. I've had those dollar IKEA plates, they look nice, yeah. but man, they when they break, they shatter into a billion shards. Yes. Is, yes. Uh, whatever it's it's the price you pay i guess <laughs> mark i can ask how that worked out for me because the only time i really intentionally interior designed something was that uh atlanta apartment so i don't know i thought it looked nice okay just wonder if we hit the nail on the head there or not yeah <laughs> i think it's good i think maybe it, did i like make you hang out at ikea a whole bunch that seems like something that would have happened I think we ended up getting most of it from not Ikea, but some, some of it was Ikea because, you know, especially when you're in your mid twenties, Ikea is like a wonderland if you're you know moving into a new yeah. place or something. Yes. Um, I haven't discovered how bad it is to use credit cards yet. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some irony dripping in that statement. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I did wonder like on Japanese news a lot, um, they'll have these big, weird displays, like sometimes handwritten and stuff, um, mm. or, or models. There was uh, one of the boy band guys like got drunk and ran across a park in Tokyo naked. So the next day they had like built a model of central Tokyo with this park and we're like showing he was here, then he was here. And it was just insane. And sometimes it wow. looks like the news lady like stayed up all last night, like making her hand handmade thing to show on the news. And this is happens nice. now. This is not a thing from the past. <laughs> So oh I was thinking, of, thinking if Victor Bergman had built that moon base alpha set like <laughs> with only 12 hours to go and he just like really, you know, got, you know, built in that little plastic force field thing he had. I was like, especially, I mean, he had to make the plastic force field, right? So yes. it fits over yes. perfectly, all that. This is the thing. We could imagine a future now where you could 3D print anything you want in, uh, I don't know, a couple of hours. That's probably more likely than a future with a ton of eagles or a transporter or um, faster than light travel actually <laughs> yeah well i i wondered about that uh, i mean i first of all i want that model 
Um, but I thought, yeah, if we've got a factory that's building eagles somewhere in the you know, underground depths of Moonbase Alpha, there's also a model shop there, much the same way that, you know, number two pointed out to Dr. Evil that they have all of their assets spread out in different businesses, including a company that makes models of little businesses, you know, so they, they've got that on Moonbase Alpha as well. But I wondered in production, not, not in the universe of the show, but in production, is that model a production model of Moonbase Alpha? Like, is that one? I assume that Brian Johnson built it and maybe for some, you know, far away shots or whatever, they actually use that. And they're like, no, no, here, we have this. Just give it to Victor Bergman for the shot. That makes sense. I mean, it's possible that, you know, like they just have that around because keep in mind when it, when it was circling the earth, they would have the visiting dignitaries and stuff. So maybe it's like, oh, here's a model of the whole place. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it does make actually a bit of logical sense just to be there. But I, I did. Yeah, just think of the Japanese news ladies. I, I was thinking of Victor doing <laughs> the same thing. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, since we were talking about Victor and, and there's so much good stuff to say about Barry Morris, but um, we were talking about at the end um, and the the unfortunate return of that eagle that just didn't work. One of my, and I have many favorite moments in this episode, but one of my favorite shots is that very last shot of Victor walking down that hallway in Alpha and he's got the cigar in his hand. And he just turns around. Is he looking at the camera? That's kind of what I, I was thinking. Who is he looking at? <laughs> you. What, was it I, the, the, uh, did the director say something off stage? And he just like turned and acknowledged it. And there's like, no, I keep the shot. It's good. I, I think he sort of is looking at is looking at God or the the lady he was talking to because he says something brought us home. And then there's that shot where he sort of is like. There you go. There's and, and, they, and you. there she is behind that door where the where the little the little people mover just went away. I mean, I guess technically she's everywhere. I it, this mm-hmm. is one of those things where I think it dips into Eastern philosophy, but maybe not quite enough because I feel like the god or whomever is saying really important things to them that every star is is everything and everything is everything else, but the most important thing to them is just that they don't die and that their friends come yeah. back. It's, it, it's more like, yeah, I, just, I'm not no, saying that necessarily they should have some kind of arc where they, they're all forever changed because they learned so much. Cause that's not really going to happen, but um, yeah. it's just interesting where it's like, what can, Oh, there's a God. What are you going to do for me? Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, my note for that bit is God is Dr. Russell question mark. So I guess that's what I thought right. he was looking at. Dr. Ooh, Russell, just, just to answer your question. Maybe. <laughs> nice. Nice. I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate that the spiritual side of this is given such short shrift because it, it's cool that they would go through a profound thing that would have to at least change somebody whether it's Koenig or Bergman or Russell, anybody, you could literally just pick any character and say, okay, well, everybody else may still have this very materialist scientific view of the universe, but somebody was profoundly changed by this experience. Um, But what we get of the experience is so little. And like you just said, Matt, it really is just about like, 
oh, we're, we come out of this okay? All right, fine. All right, then let, let's move on. Because otherwise what you get is this very like, it's like a college stoner look at spirituality. Like everything is one and we are everything. Thank God we didn't die. And like, <laughs> that, that's it. That's yeah, my, it. My big takes on this on the trip sequence is one. Well, I guess the brandy was spiked by by a scientist. <laughs> and um, I was like, uh, they're remembering all the that time they had those sparkly cur- curtains in their door. Yeah, I yes. do love yes. sparkly foil. I do it love the cool. sequence. I love the yeah. sequence traveling through the the sun or whatever. But it did make me think of uh, you know, like when my daughter was like one or two, we were playing the Baby Einstein videos, and I was like. Kind of reminds me of the baby Einstein videos. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I got to watch some of those. Got to have a jazz gummy and watch one. That sounds great. Um, yeah, yeah. That really does what you were saying, John. It really does make me think about all the times that I would experiment with psychedelics or whatever. I would never talk to anybody now and say, I remember this one time I really realized my place in the universe. I would always tell them, yeah, I uh, fell down and it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> right. I saw my food move. <laughs> yeah, it was so worth it. Yeah. That's yeah. where the college part comes in, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, right. I mean, I've, I've had my trippiest experiences for either like active dreaming or meditation when, you know, that clicks every once in a while, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll also give them this, like that sequence looked good. And I think you can easily make fun of it, but I think the makeup on uh, Landau and um, Barry Morris looks really cool because they went so over the top with it. Like they, they just, it's like, no, no, we're, we're not even going to be naturalistic. We're not even going to try to fool you. It's just so extreme that I, I love the the juxtaposition because again they are yes they are doing 2001 in that sequence and it's just like Dave Bowman waking up and seeing himself as a decrepit old man or seeing himself as a star child I, I think it all works because it is so surreal. Yeah, I wrote this sure. kind of bizarro sequence is like you know my favorite thing ever or this kind. I mean, th- this isn't like yeah, one yeah. bizarro sequence, but it, it's a very good one. I yeah, I definitely yeah. I I knew coming into this episode, I remember there was a reason I was like, oh, Black Sun, that's a good one, and uh, that's probably what stuck with me. <laughs> 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 I mean, the episode is good, I think, but yeah, that that yeah. would have been the the hook for me. <laughs> But, but, but look, I mean, it, it, it's a good episode, but you have to always look at it as it, it's a good episode, but, and, and that's okay. Cause like, look, we're, we're three nerds talking about a show that is not super well remembered in the annals of fandom. And that's okay because this is something that always takes that bit of explanation when you tell somebody about it. First of all, they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And you're like, no, 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 no. I know it doesn't make any sense. But, but, but go with me here. Like you have to swallow a lot about the premise of the series at all, just just to get in the front door. Like you have to swallow that. And then in this episode, you have to swallow a lot about the premise of this thing and surviving, going through a black hole and, and all of that stuff. But you have to like take this wide angle view of the show and go, 
okay, what we're getting here, though, is this tone. We're getting this coolness of they're basically in an office on the moon. Like, like I love the quiet banality of everything that starts out the episode. And then taking those characters to someplace super weird, this quasi-spiritual thing, this truly strange experience that they get to have. And like I walk away from this going, you know, the thing that I will remember is just Victor Bergman and Commander Koenig sitting there on that stair drinking brandy because it's so different from every other sci-fi show that we've ever seen. Like they, they carve out these little moments where you just go like, you know what? This show is ridiculous, but that scene, that scene really got me. Like, like there are all these little moments of gold in space 1999 typified by that one. What's interesting watching what everyone does as the end is coming. Cause the normal thing is to be all in central control, looking at a screen where, yeah, they're drinking brandy. Uh, Paul's about to do it. It seems there's people playing cards. There's people playing guitar. <laughs> One of the okay, things... wait, wait, wait. Can, can can we talk about that for just a minute? Because uh, okay, I think the insinuation is there, but I needed to see at least one person freaking out uh, and being talked down. And then when when that female Alfin comes into the room, I just I needed even more of a wink. I, I maybe needed a little like the outstretched hand. I just, I, something there because somebody's going to be doing it when they're facing their doom. <laughs> right. Mm. There, I, there was one line that I took down that really got me where it's, there's two guys playing chess and it's yes. going kind of slowly. And the, the one guy says to the other, you'll never beat me. And then they paused <laughs> for a second. And I'm like, yeah. wow. It's like, you'll yeah. never beat me ever, ever. <laughs> but and how um, well was that shot oh my god that yeah, was so under cool. the yeah under the transparent chess table is amazing mm -hmm. love that i've got two heavier observations i want to throw out and then if anyone else has something i miss go for it but um this and a very soft spoiler that he kind of does it next week too but uh, the commander kind of seems to be using chat GPT to make his big decisions. Um. <laughs> Did he actually decide? I, I missed the part in this episode where he used the computer to pick who's going to be on the survival ship. I thought he picked him himself. No, he used the computer uh, again. Use computer? Okay. Uh, point of order, uh, both of you. I believe the term is computer. Not oh, yes. the computer. You're right, you're right. Oh, yeah. Okay. He used he used <laughs> <Apologies>. computer. Yes. <laughs> I'm an English teacher. I should know when to head of an article or not. <laughs> I I like com computer is is so full of dread. The way that every time computer talks, it's slow and deliberate, and it's in all caps on the screen. Yeah. It's like right. I'm never comfortable with it, which is great. I think computer has disdain for everybody <laughs> inhabiting that, <laughs> that station, um, but. It, especially in those scenes with Victor Bergman early making all those calculations by hand, which was very cool. Um, I'm sure that, uh, Matt, I'm sure that Sam in our mission log community, he would be able to tell us what's in all of those. I think that would be great. Um, I love how he's actually doing the work and it's just computers sitting off to the side going, yeah, no, <laughs> you got it wrong. <laughs> okay, yeah. now it's right. Now you know you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, it's still the humans doing all the stuff, 
except then when it comes down to Koenig choosing those names because he doesn't choose. Hmm. But yeah, I'm like, it's I, even now I'm like sitting here like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I don't know. Sometimes if I have a decision to make, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, like I'll base it on some, you know, I'll roll a dice, you know, and make the decision mm-hmm. based on the dice. So it's kind of the same well, thing. But I, I guess yeah. using computer for that is maybe more logical. I think it's a whole thing where you just, uh, you don't want favoritism to play into it if you're the captain. Also, if you need, you need to go down with the ship, go down with the ship and have the computer pick who, who survives. Just yeah. so, uh, I, it's just sort of like a pride or prestige thing, I, I guess. I've never been in the military, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, I, this is a this is a civilian outfit, though. I mean, these these are basically astronauts, right? So, I, yeah, I, but I, once you once you're in this thing, I I don't know. Yeah, I guess like, they are working for uh, what was that guy's name? The 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 uh, guy the who, who, who is long gone. The dude, now. the yeah. guy is gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that jerk. Yeah, <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're definitely like less paramilitary than on you know star trek this is more like a uh yeah it's more yeah. like alien yeah well uh, yeah it seems a little higher class than than alien but you know something like i was thinking <sighs> like like the boats that well we're recording this in in june and people are hearing it later but you know the boats that just went out to try and salvage the the titan submarine that kind of mm-hmm. thing would be this mm-hmm. kind of structure i think so yeah yeah um, yeah, like, yeah, and, and it, 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 that that is a cool thing that I like about this show, where they're they're just kind of working people, and again, like like I said, that kind of banal, like we're just in an office, like and it's quiet mm-hmm. most of the time, and just people kind of going to and from work. I like that we spend time in other episodes. We just spend time in their quarters, and they're doing leisure stuff like that. That's one of the charming things about the whole series. Yeah, I like the I like this reaction. Their reaction to certain or most likely death is really kind of a quiet resignation. Maybe annoyed. Mm. They're all slightly annoyed. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, like the, right. Yeah, it appears like one hundred percent. Just it's a hundred percent. Don't don't think I about understand. variables. <laughs> yeah, I understand <sighs> everyone freaking out and screaming is like the the probably the the what we would expect that we would do, but might not yeah. i don't know if you've already been launched out of earth's orbit you might just be like, it's like oh well <laughs> now it's what this. more can you throw at me universe what more yeah, yeah. the like other the film sunshine is sort of like that the other thing i wanted to bring up just for a bit of discussion which might be the thesis of this series at least in uh, for the first season is uh is it dr russell's quote i i, I forgot to attribute it but the, the line between science and mysticism is just a line that's bergman Okay, it's Bergman. Mm-hmm. It? Okay, mm-hmm. I, I, that was uh, that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing because that's sort of I, I put in my notes. Actually, no, that's not what science is. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Science. You any, said what yeah, I was thinking. Science is rigorous yeah. testing and obtain data. But you know, in this case, it's like the the line about science being indistinguishable from magic. If uh, if it's complicated enough, or if you don't understand it enough, I and, I can uh, see. I can see even for a scientist like Bergman, I, I you know, I, I'm kind of second guessing my own thought because yeah, yes, uh, as an area of study and as a way of looking at the universe, there is a much bolder distinction between 
spirituality and science. But I think if you boil it down to kind of like the individual experience, maybe if I give them a little, little bit of wiggle room here, I can see like, okay, we can look at a thing and you as an individual, you're probably going to default to one way or the other to look at it. You're going to go like, wow, this is a scientific phenomenon. I want to study it. I want to know it. I want to understand it. But depending on that phenomenon, you could just as easily go like, I'm just going to stand here in awe and wonder at this thing that I will never be able to understand. And it kind of goes into that pocket that is the spiritual, mystical, whatever. And I think everybody sort of delineates that differently. You know, you'd hope that people doing hard science probably have a much harder line of delineation. (laughs) (laughs) But you can, I mean, this isn't really gone into in the show, but you could assume that by the time our civilization is to the point where we can really explore space that we'll have so much AI assistance. I don't really Mm. entirely buy that AI will just take over everything, but I think that using AI to assist in figuring things out could be a really great avenue for things like this. And then maybe in the future when people are doing scientific things, they won't entirely understand what they're doing. I mean, we don't understand how antidepressants work. How does your phone work? Yeah. I know how that works. (laughs) Yeah, you can fix it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't need a new one. Thank you, T-Mobile. No. uh, (laughs) But but, uh, it's... You could, you could assume that when you have com- a computer assisting you, even though computer in this case is not assisting them a whole lot, but it might be <laughs> a little more like this is kind of like magic and mm-hmm. and it's closer to mysticism. Yet still, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's like basically if you're doing just massive feats of engineering, you're getting a lot of assistance from uh, even filmmaking. You You can't make a film without... 400 other people yeah so um you know there is some magic there and (laughs) harnessing tons of labor and then maybe ai could replace that and maybe that Mm -hmm. sort of is like touching the face of god but Mm. then that plays even further into everything being part of the same thing well i know the tokyo city office uh when you send them an email or whatever starting in august it is going to be chat gbt responding they're officially going to make that your interface but then the article is like this will this should save city workers 10 minutes a day it's like huh that's (laughs) that who cares (laughs) (laughs) 10 minutes for the personal response i don't know (laughs) oh my god but the thing is is that people who design ai don't under it's like if people are worried about what ai is going to do then we don't understand how ai works because if you understand how it works then you're not worried about what it's going to do so that's just a whole, yeah. which yeah, makes me yeah. think that the whole thing is kind of a bunch of uh, nonsense that someone's going to make a ton of profit off of and then nothing's going to come of it. Although but the other know. thing, if, if you want to go, go sci-fi dystopian, I mean, at the point where AI does make that leap and maybe it manages to do it somehow on its own, that's that's one magic. And two, we're not going to know about mm-hmm. it for some time. If, if it's a, an actual sentient AI, it's probably going to realize I need to... Uh, you know, like Charlton Heston and Planet of the Apes lay low for a while because he couldn't fly. But yeah, I mean, but, it's, it's... but how long is laying low for how long is laying low for a while if you're constantly becoming smarter? Then might be like, oh, well, I need to lay low for 15 microcycles 
until I'm smart enough to destroy all of humanity. <laughs> like that's that's how the singularity is sort of defined, right? Is that everything will become unrecognizable at exponential rate? Yeah. And so, uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we, I don't know if we're smart enough to make it an AI that's smart enough to kill us. That might be pessimistic or might be optimistic. But <laughs> that's a good point. It's a very good point. Do you have any other uh, big observations you want to throw out on this episode? Well, there is the interesting case of uh, the the kind of seemingly love triangle with uh, yeah. Sandra, Sandra, and uh, poor John. Who wait was his name? John. The guy no, who you're blew talking up. to John. Mike. Now. Uh, yeah. Mike. Mike That's Ryan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mike Ryan. Yeah. She clearly she clearly was upset when Mike died, and then sort of had a weird flirtation with the guy with the mustache. And I thought that was kind of realistic and yeah well yeah, she, yeah but you know. I, 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 thought, I also thought there was a bit of a bromance though between uh paul and uh uh alan i mean when when alan is uh lifting off in that eagle and the survivorship paul's a little uh you know there, there's a lot of goodbyes yeah. a lot of long looks there uh-huh see that goodbyes. yeah yeah he was yeah. like he'll send you a postcard yeah yeah we know what that means I, yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's uh, black humor, and I love it. Um, yeah, I love these little touches, like the, the, you know, all these little interpersonal things are things we didn't. We saw that in Star Trek TNG, but it was not a whole lot before that. Mm. This was mm -hmm. unusual for the time, I thought. Yeah, because yeah. you have your hero characters on the bridge or whatever, right? Which is. They're just, you know, they're just there when they need to be and they're on or, or they're drinking brandy uh, with, I guess those are the right glasses for brandy. Yeah. They weren't space. Oh, glasses. Yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah. No, no, they, yeah. they were not. Uh, they very much served up in an old style, which yeah. was cool. I, I, speaking of relationships on this show, I mean, you always know going into it. OK, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. They were married at the time. They were apparently total nightmares. Uh, but um <laughs> But it, it's cool because they were known as a celebrity couple and you watch the show and like you're always watching for these little hints of what is the real relationship and what is the relationship between Koenig and Barbara Russell. And um, because this was shot early, you know, because this was episode three, it's like I feel like there's a lot of unspoken stuff that we as an audience are just getting the hint of because she feels emboldened to go to Koenig and say like, Hey, I, I take exception with your uh, decision here. Oh no, no, it was computer's decision. Like there's all this, like we're just on the edge here, this bit of tension. And I, I feel like, again, watching this in the order, you get a little bit of that and then you get to the next and the next and the next and you go like, Oh, okay. What are we revealing about their relationship as characters? That might be informed by the fact that we know in real life that they are a couple it's absolutely brilliant i think to make them sort of a just a tension will they won't they couple they had do so mm -hmm. much communicating with their eyes you know it's um yeah i i don't know i don't know about a whole lot of other instances of uh married couples being cast opposite each other and things it doesn't seem yeah. common but i think a lot of times it's either well you cast them as the married couple or you cast them as people who hate each other. Right. 
right. know, my first year of the show, I, you know, I was, uh, she's an ice queen, right? Watching it this time, I, I can see <laughs> a lot more. I can see the nuance in the performance a lot more, and I'm appreciating a lot oh. more. Maybe, maybe yeah. you have to be a, a, an older fart to do that. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> she's a, she's definitely like an adult adult preference. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's interesting. You you can tell it. I mean, she has gorgeous eyes. This is one of her hallmarks, you know. Um, you can see in here these moments where, like, you see the wheels turning behind those eyes, and, and you you see like her almost well up. Like, I need to get something out, but then she can't. Part of the problem with her performance in 1999 and with everybody is that again, it is so calm everything is calm because we're supposed to get this tone of like these are pros they're working in an office not everything is heightened drama that's fine she takes it to an extreme because as a model she was so kind of conscious about her on-screen image and she got approval of all of her shots so that that's something you'd never let an actor do. Wow. <laughs> you just don't. I had no idea. Well, yeah, I guess that's why she's yeah. a nightmare on set. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, their marriage lasted out of the two. Yeah. Their marriage yeah, lasted yeah. longer than uh, Nin- nineteen years after this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Andersons didn't make it to season two. Um, that was true, right? Yeah. Just. Uh, our, our the question that we're at least throwing on the season one episodes is uh, working out percentages. Basically, how much of this episode is sci-fi fun, and how much of it is existential dread? <laughs> uh, Ooh, sci-fi fun is twenty-five percent. No, no, it's thirty percent uh, because because you get. Um, I mean, you get a little bit of eagle porn, but not enough. You know, really, that's what we want out of every episode. You get, I, I just, I, I love the juxtaposition of Bergman doing the calculations and the computer just checking his work. Um, and you, I gave it that extra 5% because of Bergman and Koenig out actually doing the test <laughs> under the force field. Which was great. With the bro um, space suit hug. That was fun. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yes. I forgot. Um, it was just like, yeah, just shoot a laser at the directly at Moonbase Alpha. It'll be fine. Just <laughs> give us everything you got, you know. <laughs> well, his so, explanation is we're all gonna be dead in a few hours anyway. So <laughs> Right, that's... right, right. Uh so so that's thirty percent. The other seventy percent definitely again, what sits with you at the end of this episode is Koenig and Bergman having a brandy and contemplating what's going on. That that weighs so heavily in this. I think it's very cool for a show like this to be that bold. Oh, my split's slightly different. I'm going uh, 80% for the dread, 20% for the fun. Though okay. I, think, I think there's some nice overlap in that maybe extra 10% because some of it's both i mean the whole uh, sequence at the end the old men scene that's that's both at the same time uh so that sequence and, and of course just maybe we don't get so much of the eagles but we i think we see a lot more of just like the details of uh moonbase alpha in this one than some of the other episodes we've seen so far so that's mostly where my my 20 percent of fun is coming from um yeah 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 i think i think i'm kind of an 80 20 guy even though like i always say I think dread is fun, so my perspective is a little skewed. 
That's the I'm gonna get you a T-shirt fun. that says that. Uh, <laughs> Existential dread is fun. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Is fun. Mm-hmm. that would be a good one. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, very enjoyable. And my nitpicks aside, um, yeah, I love I love watching characters sit around and talk. Like that was the whole thing about uh, Game of Thrones was that I thought that last season was awful, but there were two episodes where everyone was just catching up. And those two episodes mm-hmm. were great. It's nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. Team Team Brandy. When when this planet flies into our sun, I will be sitting around with someone with a drink of brandy. Oh, I'd have a scotch myself. I'd have scotch with me and, and tumblers. And uh, yeah, that's why I brought the coffee. I'll have whatever's lying around. I'm not gonna kid anybody. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I have Yeah, is is there only uh, white claws? Yeah. White is, there a, is there a distillery on Moonbase Alpha? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I know in the Battlestar remake they had to build one. So <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know that there would be a microbrewery on anything that was established in space. Oh, they're making right now moonshine. Moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I have personally had friends who just made beer at home. And it was good. Well, I guess we're going to fly into the sun. Um, <laughs> the black sun or the, the real black sun? sun? The black <laughs> sun. I'm a black star, just like David Bowie. Um, John, don't say that. Uh, uh, what? Bad yeah. Luck. Oh, is it a bad luck? I don't know. Cool. Video. I don't know. I just like don't say that you have like that was the thing Bowie did before he died from black star cancer or whatever don't do that well, i'm gonna call that his best album so whatever wow <laughs> okay i'm gonna go that far i'm gonna it's, go that far it's okay. haunting yeah lots of dread in that yeah <laughs> um so john it is it is september 27th just to really blow your mind uh if Whoa. you would like to talk about what you do from that future perspective the moon's been out of orbit for two weeks blah blah <laughs> <laughs> let's see september 27th um that's a good six weeks after the vegas star trek convention i uh, don't know that i have any travel planned around there but i will theoretically still be cranking out mission logs so uh, there will be that on the table for me whether or not there will be mission log live not sure because maybe we'll have lower decks on at that time maybe not hard to predict the future you know <laughs> Yes, that's the the weird part of a high, advanced podcast recordings. Um, hey, yes, Bar, you yes. want to do, do our thing? Hey, Halloween! I'd like to plug Halloween. Get ready for it. It's time for Halloween. Um, <laughs> anyway, real plugs. Uh, you could find us on uh, patreoncom slash podcastio podcastius. You could get some outtakes, some bonus content. Uh, please throw us a few bucks for our hosting expenses and. Uh, so we could build more eagles. Thank you for your support, as always. Um, <laughs> your patron, out. you got this episode three months early. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. You know what? Still celebrate Halloween, even if it's then. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, check out Films and Filth, the Citizen Kane of Podcasts, uh, where we're going over the top and bottom 100 IMDb films. We had John on several months ago to talk about Citizen Kane. So much well, fun. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. um, great. Yeah, check out <laughs> Time Enough, the Twilight Zone podcast. Maybe you're finally to season four now. 
uh, not quite cold Disney, <laughs> even in September. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, wow. I keep saying that and then I'm always wrong. Um, check out the game game show, the game show about games. Luke loves Pokemon. Hyrule field report is probably still talking about the Zelda game that all of us beat several months ago. Um, and is that, wish, is that hopeful thinking or did you finish it? No, I finished it. Okay. I put Ganondorf in the ground, bro. Okay. He's in the ground. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think that's everything. Unless I'm forgetting a podcast or two. Okay. Uh, until next time, uh, stay on the moon. I have a brandy, but I'm about to catch a train to work. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to have a cigar and just turn around and look. Like I'm looking at somebody, but nobody's <laughs> yeah. really there. Yeah. Sure. By the way, Mark, they, I, I now say that they should have ended every episode of Space 1999 like that. Yeah, Roll credits, for sure. And then a voiceover, stay on the moon. <laughs> stay on the moon. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy.